Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, A Hospital for Sinners. Last week at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, the focus of my message was coming back to God, particularly after a moral failure, a sin, a problem, a calamity, a scandal, whether it be something that is public or something that is private, we desperately, as God's children, need to run back to Him as quickly as possible after we fail. Now, just to remind you, we are all sinners even after salvation. Though our sins have been legally taken from us, we are still practically sinners until we've been either glorified in the last day or we die and our soul goes to be with God, our consciousness with God in glory. If we are yet alive, then we are sinful until that moment when we are glorified. And Martin Luther expressed this as simul justus et peccator, which simply means at once justified and a sinner. Or, you might put it in a more contemporary way, we are simultaneously justified, made just, and sinful. In God's eyes, through Christ, we have been declared innocent through the blood of Christ, but we are also still very much sinners as we live here in this world, and as such, we fail. We sin. We miss the mark. We violate God's law. And anyone who says that they no longer do have any trouble at all with sin is either lying to you and to themselves if they actually believe that. We all sin, and we all struggle. Now, when we sin, you and I need to remember that we always can come back to God after a moral failure, after we miss the mark, as it were, after we sin, we trespass, we transgress the law of God. We can, and we need desperately to come back to Him. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sinned and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God told them they should not eat of it lest they die. He commanded them not to eat of it, and he told them that as they did, the punishment, the consequence of that would be death. What is it that they did? They hid themselves, and we still have that nature today. When we sin, our inclination is to hide from God, but what we ought to be doing after we fail is pursuing God. Now, to be very clear, this doesn't mean that there are no consequences to our actions. Quite the contrary. God chastens us if we are his sons and daughters. If we're his children, he chastens us. And this is a rule. This chastening might be physical pain. It might be a calamity that happens as we are obstinate in our sin. He might bring judgment in our lives in various ways. We may merely experience the stinging of a guilty conscience before God, and that is a great form of chastening that God employs on the hearts of His children. And I can tell you that the moments when I sin and I feel in my heart as if I have disappointed God, those are miserable moments when my heart is broken because I know I've done something that God disapproves of. God chastens every son 
that he receives according to the Bible. And again, this is a rule with no exception. At the same time, sin never exists in a vacuum, and it has consequences in our lives. Now, again, our subject today is about how we have as sinners a hospital to go to and find healing. But right now, what we're emphasizing is the fact that when we sin, we need to run to God as quickly as possible. But just because we do that, it doesn't take away the consequences of our actions, and it doesn't mean that we can escape the chastening rod of God as we do wrong. But just speaking of consequences, a married man who gives in to lust very well might destroy his marriage. And if his wife finds out, and she does happen to forgive him, that trust, that precious trust that exists between husband and wife will have been broken. And it's very difficult for that to ever be repaired. And it's much like Humpty Dumpty that falls from the wall never to be put back together again when a husband violates that trust and his wife knows she simply doesn't have the same level of trust for him as she had before, even if she does choose to stay with him. An unmarried person who commits fornication might end up with a disease. They might end up with trauma from that. They might end up with a child, with someone they're not married to for the rest of their life, and that creates great difficulty in their life because of a sin they chose to commit. One who abuses drugs might end up addicted, he might end up sick, he might end up impoverished. An alcoholic very well might destroy their liver and take years from their life in addition to potentially destroying every relationship around them because of the way they act when they are intoxicated. I could go on. Reckless living cuts a life prematurely. Laziness can cause poverty as a person is too lazy to work. The list is long, and as with Paul, as he describes the lusts of the flesh in the book of Galatians and such like, there are so many things like this in the world, sins that you and I are susceptible to that, if we give in to, bring negative consequences that we sometimes have to live with. There are always consequences when we choose to sin. Always. Sometimes those consequences are not as great as they could be, and God is very pitiful. He is merciful to us. He is slow to wrath. He is rich in mercy. But mark my word, sin is going to have a consequence. At the same time, and to be very thorough, this concept of running to God after a failing also does not mean that God approves of our sin, that he isn't offended by our sin, or that he simply sweeps it under the rug. No, God paid for your sin and for my sin, if we be his people, by judging his eternal son upon the cross of Calvary. Jesus died to take away our sins. The cross is a very revealing place. I want you to think about this. It shows exactly how much God loves you, because God exists as Father Son and Holy Spirit for all eternity, the three that are one, the triunity or trinity, the second person of the Godhead. God loves you so much that God the Son would willingly come and die for you. And it shows how much God hates sin because he would punish his son on your behalf. And this is the very heart of the gospel message, Jesus dying on our behalf, though he were innocent. And so God never approves of sin. It offends God so much that 
God the Son would go to the cross and suffer the wrath of God the Father on our behalf. God is offended with sin. But when we sin, we can and we must run back to God, always run back to God as quickly as possible. So in this message on running to God after a failure that, again, I delivered last week at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, I engaged in a bit of a tangent that I want to elaborate on with you today. The church is supposed to be a place of healing for people who struggle with sin. Or in other words, the church is a hospital. It is supposed to be like an emergency room to which we go when we injure ourselves with sin. The church is to be a place of treatment. The church is to be a place of therapy. We are to be nourished by the gospel so that we, through the Holy Spirit, experience healing. We are to find healing in the church. Now, if you'd like to watch this message that I delivered last week, you can go to facebook.com slash Flint River Church, and you can watch that live stream. You can go to the YouTube channel for March2Zion.com, and you can watch it there. It was entitled, Coming Back to God, and I believe that it would be a very comforting message to all of us, especially as we are honest about our own sinfulness and our own failings. And if you're dealing with guilt and you struggle with remorse, that message is one that would really bless you, I believe. So, again, go to the YouTube channel for MarchToZion.com or Facebook.com slash Flint River Church, and you can listen to that. You can watch that message at your convenience. But in that message this past Sunday, I elaborated on the fact that many people don't come back to God as they should because we have let some things slip in the modern Christian assembly. What sort of things? Well, specifically the confession of our faults one to another. Let's unpack that thought, to confess our faults one to another. I believe this is one of the greatest ways that the American church has handicapped itself. We go into church, we go into a building, we walk through the doors, we sit down on a pew, we watch a production, we hear a group of people performing, we listen to a message that might motivate us, it might convict us, it might very well encourage us, but there's a great deal of what God intends concerning Christian community that you don't find as commonly in the American church as you find in other countries or as you have in church throughout history. We need the Christian community. We need one another. We need each other as a part of our lives, both for encouragement for help, but also for accountability. We need each other to pray for one another. How terrible is it in this world when we go through life isolated and alone? God doesn't intend for us to be alone. In fact, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, where everything was good, yea, very good, it was a perfection, it was a paradise. The one thing that was not good was that the man was alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. And so what God does there in the Garden of Eden after he looks and he says it's not good that the man should be alone is he gives Adam his wife. He creates a woman from Adam's rib. He makes 
a woman he gives her unto Adam, and she was his wife, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. God alleviated that which was not good, Adam's loneliness, his aloneness, as it were, by giving unto him his wife. But you and I have the blessing of fellowship in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have fellowship one with another. We have Christian community. We have people who can love us and pray for us and mentor us and help us. If you're a part of a sound church and something in your house breaks and you need help with it, you don't know what to do, I guarantee you, you can place a few phone calls and people will be there trying to help you. But one of the things that we are explicitly commanded to do as a part of the church assembly, the body of Christ, this community of believers, is to confess our faults to one another. Now, if you go in, you watch a production, you leave, you got the program, then you go get lunch on a Sunday, that is not the end all of what God expects in this thing we call church. We're to be a community, and as such, we are to confess our faults one to another. Now, this isn't saying that we build a confession booth and I sit in that as a minister of the gospel, and you come and confess your specific sins to me, all of them that you can remember, and I pronounce forgiveness on you. That's not what James is telling us to do in the book of James chapter 5 and verse 16. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another, and pray for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We are, however, to confess our faults, and I note that the Greek word that translates faults here is not the same Greek word that commonly translates sin. Sometimes that word translates sins in the plural, but more times it translates trespasses. But I like the fact that the KJV translators use the word fault here because a fault speaks to something that is deeper than just, well, last week I had a bad day and I fussed at somebody and I know it was sinful and I'm sorry for it. A fault is something that is pretty chronic in our lives, isn't it? If you have a fault, then usually it's something that stays with you. And I believe the translative choice here speaks to what this passage is expressing to us. When we have something that besets us, when we have a fault, when we have some sort of flaw, we can confess that one to another, and as we confess that one to another, we have healing. Now, healing is a term that we usually apply to our physical health, and here we learn it applies to our spiritual health as well. So let me ask you a question. You know, I like to ask questions to cause us to think. Do most churches in the United States look like places where someone struggling with sin could walk in, confess their faults, and find healing? I'm not sure, and I ask that question more to prompt the thought in your mind, but I do know that at times, as Christians, those of us who are still faithful to go to church on the Lord's Day, we become a bit high on ourselves, and for lack of a better term, judgy. So let's think about this. How do people respond to a judgy church culture? Now, when I say judgy church culture, of course, someone could say, well, aren't you being judgmental by judging the judges? Well, I suppose in a sense, 
But if I'm being honest before the Lord, that's really not my intent to judge those who are judgmental. What I'm doing is trying to point out a problem that we sometimes find in American Christianity. How do people respond to a judgy church culture? Now, again, sin is sin. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. There are moral commandments in the Word of God that we are to obey. There's a place called hell where God punishes those who commit sin, who have not been redeemed by Christ. Before we knew Christ, we were dead in trespasses and in sins, and sin always displeases God. But what I'm talking about is a sort of a church culture where everyone goes and pretends that they don't have the sin problems other people have. They don't struggle with alcoholism or drugs or lust or anger or greed or jealousy, that they've got it all going on just fine and everything in their life is just rosy. Perhaps one area of life where this is demonstrated more than others is social media. Nobody ever hardly posts a picture of their kids back talking them on social media. People rarely put anything on social media that doesn't depict them in a positive light, and we are all guilty of this. We always want to have the picture-perfect photo op, everyone stop and smile at the camera to show the world how perfect our lives are. You know what that is? That's a mask. It's not real. People put on a mask in church because of what I've called the judgy church culture. In a judgy church culture, we hide our blemishes. Now, of course, I'm speaking in a spiritual sense, but this is true in the physical realm as well. If you go to school and you are surrounded by mean girls, you're going to do whatever you can to cover your blemishes. Maybe you starve yourself of food if you're a girl who thinks she's overweight. Maybe you wear way too much makeup. Maybe you dress provocatively because you want the attention of the boys and you want the mean girls to be approving of you. This is an inherent problem with humanity in general, and Christians are not immune. We want to project perfection. Everything has to be the picture-perfect photo op, but real life is quite messy. Now, here's one thing that I know. As a pastor of just about 17 years who has raised now two adults, I can tell you, after having gone through the gamut of problems that people experience, that most people struggle with the same things. If you have a church with more than a few people, there are multiple people in that church who struggle with lust, multiple people who struggle with substances, multiple people who struggle with greed, with jealousy, with destructive thoughts, and yet we act like that's such a rare thing, and yet we all deal with one of those. All of us deal with some of these sin issues. Maybe not all of them, but certainly some of them. Real life is very, very messy. But because the church culture can be judgy, we hide these problems rather than getting help with these problems. To be very clear, I would be embarrassed for you to replay my worst thoughts that I have in a week's time on a giant big screen behind me in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I get it. We ought to be ashamed of the things that we do that are wrong. But James here in James 5.16 explicitly tells us to confess our problems, our faults, our sins, our trespasses one to another to find healing, to find strength. 
that is to be a part of the culture of the church. But because we are judgy in America and in American Christianity, we hide these problems rather than getting help with them. Now, this isn't to say that a church is to excuse intentional habitual sin among her members. No church discipline is a biblical teaching. But even church discipline is designed not to exalt the church membership as if they are better than anyone else, nor to keep the church pure, but to lovingly correct one another. Paul would say, if any man receive not and obey not his commandments, paraphrasing 2 Thessalonians 3.14, to note him, have no company with him, that what? That he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. He would say in 1 Corinthians 5, to deliver people who are giving themselves over to sin to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that they might learn not to sin. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives a follow-up about that particular case he was taking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and says that this brother has suffered much, he is sorrowful, receive him back into your fellowship. So church discipline is not designed to show that we are better than other people. Church discipline is not designed to keep the church pure, but church discipline is designed as just that, discipline, a corrective measure. We use that word all the time when we talk about raising children. We discipline children because we love them and we care for them. We look out for their well-being. We know what's best for them. It's the same thing with church discipline. And you'll notice that this is why, biblically, it's to be done in tears. We enact it so the person can be rescued from destructive behavior, not to act as if we're better than anyone else. I once heard a man say that church discipline was designed to keep the church pure, and I've quoted that a couple of times today. And I would just say that that is a very ignorant point of view. And I don't mean that as a word of offense, but I mean that that is in ignorance. That is to be ignorant of what God's Word says about the subject. Church discipline doesn't keep the church pure. Church discipline disciplines the members. What makes the church pure? If you answered anything but the blood of Jesus, you need to revisit this book. The blood of Christ keeps the church pure. The blood of Christ made us pure. And we have been washed with the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Your purity is in the Lord. Your salvation is of the Lord. Your righteousness is the Lord. Church discipline does not make the church more or less pure. But church discipline is for the accountability and growth and ultimate well-being of the members of the church. Now, back to our subject, the church being a hospital. People who really struggle with sin and feel bad about themselves for it, not the emboldened type, not the obstinate, not the hard-hearted, but those who sin, they struggle, and they are remorseful. Many times they tend to stay away from church, feeling themselves not good enough to be there. They think, folks will judge me. I've lived such a terrible life. I don't fit in. They don't want me there. And that is really a shame, and I am sure it does not please the Lord. So what happens in a church culture where people routinely confess their faults one to another? Other people who struggle with sin and are remorseful about it will feel more comfortable venturing into our midst. Think about this. If you grew up in a church 
And everybody there says, oh, please pray for me. I struggle with anger. Please pray for me. I, I struggle with laziness. Please pray for me. I struggle with jealousy. You name it. If someone grows up in a church and they've seen that their whole life and they've seen the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the prayer for someone who's struggling, that person's not going to grow up and go around telling everyone that they're now an agnostic and have no place in church because it's just a bunch of Pharisees. The practice of the confession of sin and faults and trespasses, etc., one to another, shuts the mouths of those who would claim that Christians are nothing but Pharisees. And I have to say that sometimes that accusation is not without some merit. But if this is a part of our church culture, then folks who are remorseful and struggling, well, they'll feel more comfortable coming into our midst. So in this hospital that we call the church, the atmosphere of confession of faults is to be normal so that we can find help and healing. And if the church has a healthy culture of confessing our faults one before another, then those who fall away, they won't have near the issue returning if God works on them and convicts them that they would have had if they were ashamed. Could you imagine going to the ER and being interrogated whether or not foolishness led to your broken arm? Did you know it is the responsibility of the medical community to treat you without bias as far as what led to your condition? If you get a man who is shot in a hunting accident and you get a gangbanger who is shot in a drug deal gone bad, the ER people are not going to say, well, let's see here. Did this guy bring it on himself? Are we better than him? Is he really welcome here? No, they're going to do everything that they can possibly do to save the man's life, whether he were shot in the middle of a drug deal or it was a simple accident because he didn't have on enough orange at the hunting club. That is how we are to be as the church. If you went to the hospital and they began to judge you before treating you or instead of treating you, how offended would you be? Could you imagine the lawsuit that would be? That is how we sometimes act in churches when people come to us who have a past, when in reality, the church is to be a hospital. I want you to think of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ as the emergency room. When you injure yourself with sin, get there as quickly as possible. As I preached on this subject last Sunday, a sister in our church told me that I should actually write ER for sinners on the sign at church, and I think that's a pretty good idea. We might add that to the sign soon. So as we begin to bring our thoughts today to a close, let's further elaborate on this concept from Scripture, because I want you to get this point that the church is a hospital for sinners. When Jesus ate with sinners, the self-righteous judged him. How did Jesus respond? Three times they said, he eats with sinners, and every single time Jesus would reply, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. A what? A doctor, a physician. In the church, we're all sinners, and so we're all sick. We all need this great physician. The church is a hospital. In Revelation 3.18, Jesus told a lukewarm church, Laodicea, to buy for themselves of him salve that they might see. What is salve? Well, it's a medicine. What do you need a medicine for? Well, when you're sick, the church is a hospital. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus promised rest to those who are laboring and heavy laden if they come to him. Come to him for what? Come to him for rest. What is it that you do in a hospital as you heal? You rest. The church is a hospital. In Psalm 23, what does a shepherd do for his sheep? He anoints their head with oil. What is this a picture of? It's a picture of medicine. 
You see, sheep get parasitic infections in their head, and the shepherd would treat this with oil. So what does the Savior do for us? He gives us treatment and healing. The church is a hospital. If you belong to a church, do all that you can within your church to foster this culture of confession of faults and prayer and healing. Be honest, be transparent, be open about your struggles. And if you're a person that is remorseful over your sin, and you struggle with your sin, and you're ashamed of your sin, might we invite you to good churches across this country to come in to be welcomed, to be loved, to be prayed for, and to be helped so that you too might find healing in this hospital that we call a church. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.